Hello and welcome back to Impulse Chats. I have Holly Rose joining me today. She is an intersectional environmentalist, a regenerative soil advocate and a green political activist amongst a plethora of other things. If we haven't met before, my name is Sarah Barnes and you can connect with me outside of this podcast if you go to Instagram at Impulse Yoga underscore. This recording is going to go out on the podcast, so on iTunes and also on Spotify and on my YouTube channel if you search Impulse Chats with Sarah Barnes. And of course, I will put it out in parts on my Instagram TV as well. So Holly, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, let's not waste any time. So can you please share a little bit of information on your background and your story and your journey and how you came to working in your particular field? Yeah, so, um, so I was born on Treaty 1 territory in the country now known as Canada. Um, and my mother raised my sisters and I to sort of honor the changes of the seasons. We started doing yoga when we were teenagers. I'm 35 now, so, um, so it was back before it sort of got popular. She was an indigenous activist. She um, raised us on organic food despite us growing up on welfare. Um, she's a pretty amazing woman. And she sort of instilled in my sisters and I to respect the planet and see you know, all the beings within, within you know, the planet's ecosystem as living beings um, and to treat everyone with equality and all these things. And, um, and we had a very sort of idyllic nature uh, infused childhood um, and it was great. And then when I was a teenager, I became a cheerleader and I started wearing synthetic clothing and I ate McDonald's and listened to Britney Spears and, you know, smoked cigarettes and like pretty much I dyed my hair really blonde, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that was my sort of rebellion was to become a conventional human. Um, and I kind of stayed that way until my early 20s. And then I sort of entered this world or re-entered this world through um, sustainable fashion. Um, I was living in London and I was working in the fashion industry and had just sort of started to understand the, the production systems and become curious about it. And there was a really, really small community um, of, of mostly women or people who identify as women um, starting to talk about this stuff. And it would be like me and five other people in a room with like, you know, one of the people who ended up starting, um, uh, what is it called, Fashion Revolution. Um, and so I sort of, and then I started selling upcycled vintage clothing and I made um, a collection of clutches out of recycled bits of fabric that I found in charity shops and things like that. Um, and then, and I was still sort of working in the conventional fashion industry at that time. Um, and I ended up meeting my husband who is an American that was living in Paris and um, I didn't speak French at the time, so I needed to figure out something to do and traveling from London to, to Paris or, or we were living in Texas for a bit with all my like riffraff and upcycled um, vintage stuff was not practical. So I got curious, I started doing some more writing. I have, I, I had previously written a fashion column about, you know, sustainable fashion as it stood when I was in university. Um, and so I started to write for some different publications. And then when I, we moved back to France, I started to write my own blog. And I started with like a really intense 365 days of looking at every product I use and every um, habit I had and how, what the problems were and what the sustainable solutions were and what the ethical issues were and 
um, and really delved deep into it and sort of came up with this. I mean, the first title of my first blog post was why Starbucks is an asshole and so are you. So it really shows the tone of, of you know, how I started in 2016 and now I'm all, you know, sort of the opposite. And really what the changing factor was for me was um, I was completely burnt out and exhausted and just really like void of hope and feeling quite angry and frustrated with the world and the systems that we lived under. And I really didn't know how to like what the next move was. And a friend of mine introduced me to this book called Wilding by Isabella Tree, which is about this estate in Sussex that is like an aristocratic estate and um, they were having money troubles. And so they were trying to figure out a way to make something, some sort of sustainable business out of their, out of their estate. It's very big, rich people problems. Um, and they ended up hearing about rewilding and they did this in, you know, in, in a matter of 10 years, they, um, regenerated the soil so much with all these native wildflowers and animals and plants that um, that monarch butterflies returned to Sussex and the you know turtle dove population increased by 400%. And I was completely enchanted by this book. Um, and through that, I started to get interested in soil health. It's something I had never really talked about before, and something that even in school, you know, we didn't really cover. Not that I was the most studious person, and I definitely didn't do well in science, but. <laughs> But, um, uh, and then a friend of mine told me about this course by Kiss the Ground, um, covering regenerative agriculture. And I was really nervous to take it because I did so badly in science and I didn't want to make a fool of myself. Um, but I took it anyways. And I just, it was like one of the most transformational things that I've done. And I've done lots of traveling and lots of yoga and lots of drugs and lots of different things. But like, this was the thing that really like set me on my path. Um, and it's like a six week course and you do it online. Um, and it's all about regenerative agriculture, which is all about creating a relationship of reciprocity with the living world and how we can change our systems to give back more than they take. Um, and I have found that the lessons from that, which is indigenous ecological knowledge as well, this whole way of farming is collected from all these different, you know, um, wells of wisdom from indigenous people around the world of all skin colors and all backgrounds. There's even someone here in Europe um, in the northern parts of um, what's now known as Sweden. So um, so yeah, I just found that it not only was regenerative agriculture really interesting, but there was also this whole movement with fiber shed and regenerative fashion and then from the food system, there's also beauty systems and then suddenly realize that every single ingredient that I use in my life to support my life and that every other human uses in their lives to support their lives has some sort of interaction with the soil and the plants that live within the soil and the microbes and invertebrates and all the living beings who live beneath the earth. There's you know more life in a healthy teaspoon of soil than there are humans on the planet and the scent of soil stimulates the same um, chemical that is oxytocin or it's a hormone that um, is stimulated when mother and child are bonding so there's all these little like corners of enchantment that I just found you know utterly engaging um, and so for the past I guess two years I've been trying to look going going back to the beginning of this whole sustainable journey and trying to look at every habit I have and every product that I buy and trying to find regenerative solutions and just as it was difficult in 2016 to find answers to those questions and solutions to those problems. It's just as difficult now, but in all these different secret corners of the world that are just like completely unpopular, these brands that don't have very many follow, much of a following or whatever, there are all these corners of hope and people trying to create systems that give back more than they take and that don't involve 
you know, the hierarchical structure that most of our systems run under. Um, and then the final part of that journey, or at least where I am now, was um, I, it's kind of a longer story, so I'll try and shorten it down, but basically there was a woman who had written a, um, a recipe book that was all about regenerative food systems and eating seasonally here in the UK, um, and we really connected when, she con when her PR people contacted me to write about her on my Instagram. And then she ended up getting a job with the Green Party. And around that same time, I had been introduced to someone, one of the ex-leaders of the Green Party at a soil conference um, and found her very inspiring. And so I started to look into what, what like, I had never been interested in politics, just like I had never been interested in science. And suddenly I realized how connected all the different prongs are that, you know, from our lifestyle comes you know, the, the systems that are in place, which are not regenerative, they're degenerative. And those systems are controlled by politics. And so if we're not involved in politics, we can't really complain about the system or expect our lifestyles to change because it shouldn't be that we have to make these decisions at the counter or when we're buying food or whatever, it should just be the norm that our food and fashion and beauty products and housing and et cetera, et cetera, are free of, you know, human rights violations, free of acts of ecocide, free of um, systems of hierarchy and supremacy. So, um, so yeah, that's the long version of where I'm at now, at least. So now I work for the Green Party of England and Wales was the end. <laughs> um, Thank, you. And Thank you. That was really, really interesting. And I picked up on one point, actually, that I'd love for you to expand on. Um, can you can you explain what regenerative sustainability um, means? Yeah, so the I and this is from Kiss the Ground, so I can't take credit for it, but I do talk about it all the time and try to relate it to all different things, whether it's um, regenerative fashion or you know investments as white people into doing the anti-racism work or um, social justice issues, whatever it is. Um, I do my best to try to bring this into that conversation but degeneration is the systems we have now so it's a system of taking and giving nothing back in return um, and sustainability is the obvious response to degeneration de it, it it takes and gives back exactly what it wants to use again um, and i'm in a speaking course with a bunch of women for um for this documentary that's coming out by kiss the ground the course that i took um, and one of the speaking coaches had a really good explanation where she was saying, like, if you explained, if someone asked you how your marriage is or how your partnership is and you responded, my partnership is sustainable or my marriage is sustainable, that wouldn't be a sign of a healthy relationship. Whereas if you responded, my, my relationship is, is um, regenerative and it helps me thrive, my partner gives back more than he or she or they take. Um, then that would indicate a healthy relationship. So regeneration is giving back more than you take and it's a relationship of reciprocity with the living world or with the people around you or with your environment, whatever it is. Um, and it's, we want to sustain regeneration. So regenerative sustainability is sustaining regeneration, whereas just sustainability sustains degeneration, which are the systems we have now. I guess that's the sh shortest answer I can make for it. Thank you. Thank you. And um, it leads me on to my next question uh, quite well. Um, the circular economy, um, it's been coming up on my radar quite a lot, um, especially there's a, a book, I think, called Donut e Economics as well, which I haven't read yet. 
um, but I've listened to some of the stuff from the author and um, I've heard that there are some countries that are really going for this new concept, a new way of doing things, this circular economy. Um, can you please explain uh, what that is? Yeah, I mean, I'll do a worse job than, you know, anyone in the Green Party will. Um, I recently interviewed Natalie Bennett, who's the Green Peer in the House of Lords, and she did a really great job explaining it, but I'll try to do some justice. So, like I was saying before, our current economy takes and gives nothing back, and it sort of locks us into this relationship with um, hierarchy, with supremacy, and with racial capitalism, which breaks down the climate and um, causes social injustice. And because it doesn't take into consideration the limitations of what the natural world has to offer. So our current economy is built on this idea of GDP and the creators of GDP didn't intend for the, they made this um, system and said, this isn't gonna work for infinite growth because there is no such thing as infinite growth. But you know, the wrong people put it into, into power and it's this idea of just taking and taking and taking and never being responsible for any relationships of respect or any relation, any limitations on what we take. And um, the Donut Economics book talk, talks about, um, you know, living within the system where, where the Earth's resources, if we want to call them that, are the donut and the inside of the donut is where we need to, as human beings, um, live essentially and have all of our systems run. Um, and there's, uh, it's, it's published by this great um, uh, publisher called Chelsea Green Publishing, which is a employee owned business. So this is one of the examples of alternatives to capitalism and alternatives to the GDP economy is um, businesses that are either like Chelsea Green is that are employee run. So the shares of the company are broken up between the employees or that are community run. So another book they published called Fibershed and we have Fibershed here in the UK as well as um, the country now known as the USA. And I think there's some opening up in the country I come from or the, the what is now known as Canada. Um, and that's a community owned system. Uh, Riverford is another example of an employee owned and community owned system where um, the, the shape of the company is circular and the um, the limitations of the company are circular. So they try to sort of emulate that circular economy in this really small way. And the reason that that's so successful or why it's so inspiring is that when you have community resilience, you're able to ensure that everyone within your community has the ability to either participate in that economy by making it affordable to those people or to be a part of that economy by contributing to that business model, so to speak. Um, and I think the Green Party does a really great job of sort of setting out the, the I guess, the, the groundwork or the foundations for that, for that type of economy. Um, the Green New Deal that was written by Caroline Lucas, and there's a video on the Green Party's, at the Green Party's um, IGTV that I did with Caroline Lucas, where she talks about why she, her and a group of economists and environmentalists created the Green New Deal in 2008 after the last economic crash. And we're in the midst right now as we speak of another economic crash, perhaps the biggest in history. And one of the really interesting things is that during the last economic crash, 
uh, Iceland didn't bail out its banks. It, it actually jailed the people who were in charge of allowing this type of rampant economy to proliferate, um, including bankers and their prime minister and other people within those sort of halls of power. Um, and created something that was a little bit closer to a citizen-led um, you know, assembly that, that Extinction Rebellion and other environmental groups are calling for where every person is, um, has their voice heard. And you know, the root word of democracy is um, for the people or the people have the power essentially. And that's not really what we have in place now. So there's sort of this two-pronged thing happening where the economic system that we have right now is causing social injustices and causing um, climate breakdown and is, ca is causing, you know, this lack of care from the people or the governance that is meant to protect us. Um, and I did this right up during um, COVID where I was talking about sort of our current reality as a tree. So, you know, we began, we share like 25% of our genes with trees. And like I shared before, there's all these amazing things about soil and how it supports us. So like we have more microbes which come from the soil in our body than we have human cells. So we're more soil than we are human. Um, and so that relationship with the earth has been severed and the, or the systems that govern that relationship are sort of like the stem of the tree. So in the middle of a tree, there's like a heartwood and it, it has these sort of um, pipes, if you will, running up and down that, that nutrients and, and water and different bits that support the tree um, support. And it's also what keeps the tree sturdy. Um, and our governance should run that way, where it governs our relationship with the earth and ensures that it's healthy and makes sure that the, you know, the branches and the leaves on the tree, which represent human culture and, um, you know, all the different, all the different people on the earth can be all the different leaves and the branches, all our different cultures or countries, however you want to look at it. Um, and it doesn't. And so the tree is beginning to fall and the roots are beginning to, um, you know, rot, and now the center of the tree is beginning to fall apart as well. So all that to say, um, you know, I think the circular economy is, it, it represents in many ways, you know, um, reshaping the hierarchy that we currently have into something that is round and, and mimics the, the natural movements or the natural relationships that, that nature has. Um, but I have a blog post on my blog and there is a IGTV on the Green Party's um, Instagram that you can check out for more or read the book. <laughs> Thank you. That was very insightful. Um, and this one uh, that what you were just talking about, again, it leads quite nicely on to my next question. You touched on uh, capitalism and um, what do you think the main issues are with capitalism and how can we potentially be addressing them on an individual level, um, you know, ourselves and also in a more collective level? Um, because I guess there's always, you know, if we look at something like recycling, all of a sudden all the responsibility was on, you know, us when it should have been the companies that you know were being allowed to produce in these ways in the ways in which in which they do so how can we address the issues of capitalism on an individual level and collectively and also at a government level yeah i mean it's it, there's a lot of different um aspects to you know like capitalism and racism were sort of 
I'm in an anti-racism book club, which has been super insightful. I had started, you know, my anti-racism work, I guess, in 2017, I think it was. Um, and I recently rejoined after the, the next BLM movement. I joined this, um, this book club that came up just before. And this book called um, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Imbram X. Kendi really breaks it down really well that like racism and capitalism were born in Portugal in 1441. And they were born together almost as like Siamese twins. And they were raised in Europe and then reached adulthood in what is now known as America where it sort of like took over and spread all over the world, these evil twins, if you will. Um, and they're sort of inseparable because capitalism requires, um, you know, misuse of the planet and misuse of um, human relationships and misuse of non-human relationships. And it cannot survive if we're not constantly um, consuming and it cannot survive without oppressing and marginalizing the, the planet and the people who dwell on it. Um, and kind of going back to the economy, like we currently have an economy which people and the planet work to support rather than an economy which supports people and the planet. It's almost an entity of its own that controls everything that we do and um, controls the health of the planet. And that's not the right way around. We have it backwards. Um, and I think also, well, I don't think, I know that capitalism, I, I, did, I did a little, I like to look at the etymology of words. Um, English coming from Latin has like all these little secrets in it that I find quite interesting. So hierarchy, the sort of triangular system that we live under now, um, rose into um, popularity or started to be used as a word in the 1600s. And that was the same 10 year period that um, the first colony was set up in the country now known as the USA, Jamestown. Um, it was also when King James, who Jamestown was named after, translated the Bible from Latin into English so that with, under the guise, I guess, that, that they wanted regular folks to be able to access the information within the Bible. But that also led to um, folks going after women, mostly in their 40s, mostly healers and community leaders, and um, burning them at the stake, which was the beginning of the witch trials that following year. That same 10-year period was when the African slave trade um, or the slave trade of Africans started to um, happen in the United States or the country now known as the United States as well. So all these different like prongs of, and it's also just before, you know, a couple of hundred years before the Industrial Revolution. So all these different prongs of, um, history, sort of or Eurocentric history at least, uh, sort of happened in this 10-year period that this word came to, to power and they set the, set the sort of base of that hierarchy that we as Brits and we as, you know, um, Indo-Europeans began to build on. And from that foundation, really terrible racial capitalism foundation, we built this world that um, is completely disconnected from the natural world. And the rise of the sort of um, rational mind, so to speak, which became really very popular around that time as well, where like having emotions or relationships with the living world or spiritual relationships with the living world as are like people who are indigenous to this, these islands had um, not regularly up until that point, but you know, before colonization of the UK, that was how Celts and Indo-Europeans lived. And you can kind of see as you look 
throughout history how much erasure of different groups who had relationships with the planet were. So it kind of starts here with the witch trials and then we go over to what is now known as the USA and Canada and South and Central America and start our genocide of people who have relationships with the earth, spiritual relationships, regenerative relationships, societal relationships with the living world and start to erase that history and erase that relationship and prevent that relationship and commit huge amounts of murder. Not only to, there's, an, there's another book called Tending the Wild by Cat something, and it's specifically about California. Um, but it's, it's a sort of walks you through history. It's a massive book. I've been reading it for, I think like six months, but I read like a little sort of half a page or two every day. Um, and it walks you through the environmental and um, uh, indigenous relationships with Europeans or Europeans re relationships with indigenous peoples of California and how the way that we treat the earth and the way that we treat people who have relationships with the earth are very similar. And as we started to commit genocide to indigenous people, we also committed genocide to the living world that was a, a place of abundance with wild diversity. You know, I think it's something like we only eat 30 plants and there's something like 3000 or 30,000 edible plants that we haven't even touched. Um, and, you know, 75% of our medicine comes from the Amazon. And yet right now, currently it's having an even bigger um, fire than it did last year. And so all these plant species that we're constantly losing based on <clears throat> the way that we treat the planet based on the economy that we have and the systems of supremacy that we have, we're losing all this valuable, um, you know, knowledge, valuable people, valuable lives, valuable um, environments that we don't even, we haven't even begun to understand. We've only just in the past, you know, 50 years started even listening to indigenous people and started using our Western science to like, you know, take down and prove whether they're, you know, 2000 year old knowledge is correct or incorrect. And 99% of the time we find that it is correct. So, you know, we haven't, we've not even like scratched the surface of what we as humans or what this planet is capable of. And we've, we're basically just like ruining it and killing it and killing each other faster than we can discover anything and sending you know, spaceships to wherever Elon Musk spent, sent spaceships to and spending all that money on just the wrong things. We just need to look downwards and we need to ground ourselves and we need to start listening to the voices of Black, Indigenous and people of color. And we need to start ensuring that everyone in our personal community and our human community and our non-human community are able to thrive. Because if we don't, then, you know, we're, we're, we're not probably going to be here for that much longer. Um, and that'd be a real, real shame considering the potential that we could have to be, you know, loving human beings. Um, and I think even, I'll shut up soon, but even with, you know, yoga, like as, as people of Indo-European descent, um, we come from a culture that has this very rational way of thinking that has caused such, you know, depression and anxiety and um, control and like um, marginalization, um, not just of Black, Indigenous, and people of color, but throughout history of women, of, of non-binary people, of people who don't subscribe to whatever religion we're down with at that time, you know, all the isms that, that we proliferate. 
Um, and we don't often spend time having a regenerative relationship. Like none of us should, you know, we've, we've all benefited. You and I have benefited from yoga, from meditation, from, you know, the odd mind altering drug, perhaps like all these different aspects of indigenous knowledge or black indigenous and people of colors knowledge. Um, and we so often as white folks take that knowledge and give nothing back. We might go and you know do a yoga course or a meditation course or go on a retreat somewhere, but most often the person who is benefiting from that action is either ourselves or some other white person who has benefited from you know an action that came before. And so as we you know call ourselves spiritual and call our, and and become interested, this this sort of door opening is thanks to Black, Indigenous, and people of color of us to be able to have start to melt down that rational mind and that mind of supremacism and that mind of racism and everything else that's built within the society we have grown up with and the society we come from and the generations of ancestors that have, have grown up in the same system. Um, and yet we don't ensure that Black, Indigenous and people of color have the same right to thrive that they have gifted us with. And I think it's just a, another little prong within the realm that you and I might be interested in that that we've got wrong and that we're still doing wrong. And yeah, I could go on, but I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> no, I completely, I completely agree, especially on the subject of yoga. And like, for me, my main focus at the moment is looking at, okay, so yeah, we have taken a lot of stuff from yoga and particularly in the West, like repackaged it and made it really masculine. So it's all about, power yoga and about the visual and moving it from the internal to the external and then the thing that like blows my mind away the most which i honestly i've only recently just started getting into in the in the last year you know my background is fashion too originally before i started on this whole um path and what i found is i gave up fast fashion in december and one of the big reasons was I was, I'm a yoga teacher as, as well. And when I teach yoga, I was dressed in, you know, certain brands clothing. And when I did a little bit of research, I was just, I was shocked. I was like, hang on, I'm talking about all these concepts that originate from India and this culture. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, we talk about this thing in yoga called ahimsa, which is nonviolence as part of our, the yamas that we follow as yogis are ethics our guidelines for living it's non-violence well the, the item of clothing that i paid for is is wrapped in violence and it takes from the people who are most vulnerable in the country of origin from the from yoga that i am now you know westernizing and sharing with people and and now i'm taking from them with my clothes you know and i'm and i'm paying into a system that drains that it drains that country in so many different ways and just takes and doesn't give back. And then I can, I can completely see how the sharing information about that is so powerful now because I feel like people are waking up and it feels good to make the change. And maybe that's why the momentum is really picked up with everything. I feel it here being back in, in the UK um, because you know, it is shocking and no one really knew before. No one really thought about it before, you know, or questioned it before. Um, and so what, what is it that, you know, because what you're talking about, um, there's so many different facets 
to that so is there one particular thing at the moment with the work that you're doing is there one particular message that you're specifically focused on at the moment yeah i mean i mean i'm definitely um i'm i'm definitely focused on the soil because you know any being that can't photosynthesize which we can't are reliant on beings who can photosynthesize like plants and trees and other beings who live within the soil um, for life, whether you eat animals or not, animals also eat plants. And so therefore, no matter what you eat, you're reliant on plants. Everything in this life is an exchange of life for life. And whether it's our food, our water, our air, our fashion, our medicine, our housing, every single aspect of our reality comes from the earth. Even the, you know, yoga clothing and yoga mats that we've used throughout our lives. It's one of the most polluting industries in the world because it's almost completely made up of plastic, which is also coming from the soil by means of fossil fuels. And every, when we extract fossil fuels from the soil, obviously that disequilibrates the amount of carbon that's in the atmosphere and carbon's happy place is in the soil and its dangerous place is in the atmosphere. And that's what's causing global warming and climate breakdown. Um, so the more we contribute to that economy, this carbon economy or fossil fuel economy, the more we contribute to climate breakdown, the more we contribute to the marginalization of black, indigenous and people of color and other peoples around the world, as well as the marginalization of non-human beings. Um, and it's absolutely sort of ignorant of us to, especially those of us that hold, hold a certain amount of privilege to not be trying to um, make as many efforts as we can to avoid contributing to these negative economies and avoid um, and try to support these like slowly and tiny and um, uh, you know slowly growing economies that are coming through things like fiber shed or through here in the UK um, farm drop and uh, riverford in terms of food that are offering smallholder farms the opportunity to avoid the degenerative system that exists within our food systems and give access at an affordable price to consumers who are wanting to connect to those farmers and consume food that supports a healthy gut and healthy body healthy planet healthy environment and that isn't isn't full of human rights violations um, and that goes for our yoga clothing that goes for everything the systems are all the same it doesn't matter what subject you you focus on so i would say the long answer to that question the short answer to that question is a hundred percent i'm focused on regeneration on trying to find regenerative systems whether it's interpersonal relationships whether it's um relationships in economic systems or or alternatives to capitalism or spiritual relationships or relationships with the natural world um, I'm, I'm trying to focus on giving back more than I take and I'm trying to focus on having relationships of reciprocity and obviously I'm, I'm, you know, still sort of novice on this journey and I still live within the society that we live in and I still have the history that I have. Um, but I think that trying to question my choices in life in that way will help me to avoid making some of the mistakes I've made in the past and some of the mistakes that we make as human beings, hopefully. And where do you go for your inspiration and motivation? You're, you're someone who's giving out a lot, sharing your time. Um, so where do you go when you need to have a spark of in, in inspiration? What spaces do you go to? Documentaries, books, um, anywhere. What do you do for inspiration? 
There's all sorts of things. So one of the things um, after I finished this course was that I realized that I wanted to live closer to nature and that I also wanted to live closer to my family. Um, so my husband and I were living in a super small studio apartment in Paris um, and we looked and looked for somewhere that we could have sort of a, be close enough to the city to still be able to work um, and pay rent and things like that. But far enough from the city that we could have a garden and have access to nature. So we moved to Hastings. Um, and every morning, almost every morning, most mornings, I take, I run down to the beach, I jump in the water and swim, doesn't matter what time of year, and then I meditate on the beach or just lie on the beach and I do a little like made up ritual um, that I enjoy that gives thanks to the different elements and tries to honor those things that I've been talking about, you know, the earth supporting all life on land and the air, you know, spreading seeds and messages from other, other trees and the water being, you know, quenching our thirst and being a source of solitude for us and the, the fire which, you know, germinates seeds that otherwise would, would not be germinated and has kept us warm and cooked our food and things like that. Um, so to remind myself every day that I need to be grateful for these things. Um, and I listen to uh, quite a few people. I mean, I have a lot of relationships with other whatever I am online, um, people who have followings online who write about these things. So Kamea Shane, who runs the Cream Green Dreamer podcast, um, is a good friend of mine and I really value our relationship and her podcast. Um, Renee Elizabeth Peters, who was formerly model for Green Living, I think. She, um, the, sort of, there's four of us that sort of left the sustainable fashion industry and, and started to um, study regeneration and regenerative systems. and. Um, so Renee is another person who left New York City to become a farmer. Um, Faye Lessler, who, who runs the Instagram uh, Sustaining Life, is another person that I have a very um, meaningful relationship with, um, online at least. My family, who I moved to be closer to. Um, some other podcasts are For the Wild. Um, Living Myth, I absolutely love, with Michael Mead. Um, live Awake, my friend Sarah Blondin or Sarah Cook, depending. Um, it's a meditation um, series that, that she's done and she's also written a book called um, The Heart Led Something. I can't remember, but I'll send you her Instagram. Um, Kiss the Ground, I'll be forever grateful for. And they have a documentary coming out on Netflix on the 22nd of September. They also have um, the soil advocacy course that I took, um, regenerative gardening course, there's teachers courses, farmers courses, um, courses for brands. Um, I really value, uh, there's a person online named The Mirror who I find very inspiring. Um, Celine Seaman, who's Celine Celine's on Instagram. Whitney um, Buick, I may be saying her name wrong. The Unwrinkling. Um, Fiber Shed as a movement, uh, any author of Chelsea Green's books, and uh, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer is probably my all-time favorite book. So yeah, a combination of reading and conversations and podcasts and documentaries, I'll take anything as long as it's sort of in the realm of either anti-racism, regeneration, um, or some other form of inspiration. I really am into sort of like Celtic mythology and history and things like that as well. So, yeah. And most importantly, um, where is the best place for people to A, connect with you and B, 
do you have any offerings coming up in the next six months? You know, where's the best place for people to go if they want to dig a little bit deeper? And also, how do people take action? Um, because a lot of the things that you've talked about and the activism that you do, um, you know, it's super interesting. But of course, we don't just want to sit back and be passive podcast listeners. How do we get involved? How do we take action? Um, so uh, my channels are all at hollyrose.eco. So holly like the Christmas fairy, rose like the flower.eco. Um, I have a blog that I update regularly. I also have a Patreon where people can help support the work that I do because I don't really work with brands since no brands who I can work with have money. Um, so uh, in that space, I, I do once a month a sort of Q&A where, where folks can come and ask me questions or we can just talk about whatever I've been learning or whatever they've been learning. Um, I also really recommend people getting involved with the Green Party of England and Wales. If you live in England and Wales um, or Scotland that has a Green Party and both of the Irelands have a Green Party as well. Um, the Republic of Ireland and the Northern Ireland to be, to be correct. Um, getting politically involved, you know, it's like they're, like I said before, like shouting up saying like, we want action, but not actually understanding the systems and and their solutions, um, it, it, it's, it halts the energy that you're exporting. And so if you start to understand the systems that are preventing your call to action from happening, um, it's really, really empowering. It's, it's definitely overwhelming at the beginning, um, but we have a campaign we're starting that's called Better Is Possible. Um, and we've tried to create some information that helps people to, um, to feel educated and empowered to become advocates for the environment and for the Green Party and for green, the Green Movement as a whole. Um, we also host every Wednesday at six o'clock, either myself or another colleague will host a live event talking to leaders within the industry, um, whether it's like Fibershed or Riverford or someone from London Economic um, Foundation, or sorry, London Economic um, School of London Economics is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, a very diverse um, set of subjects. So whatever you're interested in, there's something you can do and your voice is important and we need you. Um, so come on down. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would say would be the best course of action. And take the course with Kiss the Ground. It's like, it's very affordable. They also have scholarships. Um, understanding soil is super, super empowering um, and you'd be a rarity amongst humanity if you put the effort into to do it if you have the privilege of time or and money or both thank you holly um thank you so much for joining me today i'm not sure about anyone else who's listening or watching but i'm personally feeling very inspired to go and educate myself and take action thank you so much for coming on thanks for having me and thank you to everyone who is listening or maybe listening and watching as well. Um, I will catch you all soon. Stay healthy, stay happy. And thank you for stopping by. Bye, everyone. Bye.